Now back to On the Block with Strick and Austin on 93.7 The Ticket and theticketfm.com. We're back on the block, Austin Norman and Eric Strickland with you. We turn our attention now to our VIP line brought to you by Allo Fiber, where they understand the importance of exceptional service with local heart. We welcome in Evan Bland of the Omaha World Herald. Evan, this is going to be a lot of college baseball. I warned you about that. What I didn't warn you about was the, the first conversation we had on the show today was about the the Twitter picture circulating Patrick Mahomes and the, uh, the unflattering angle from inside the locker room. And uh, a name that came up for us that I am sure will resonate with you as a Spurs fan, Boris Diaw. Was he the best pudgy Spurs player you remember? <laughs> uh, wow. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think so. Um, he was a good passer. I remember that. Like, he, uh, you know, if he had a little pudge, he had a little pass to him as well. Uh, boy, you know, I, I, Big Baby is the only other kind of, you know, pro <laughs> basketball player that comes to mind for me when I think of that. But Oliver Miller. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was not expecting a Boris Diaw reference here, but yeah, I would put him on that list, sure. Real quick, Evan, before we jump heavily into the baseball stuff, I look, big game tomorrow, and I know we're not going to have you thereafter. So um, one of the things that Fred Hoiberg, because you know, I don't do a lot of talking because, Evan, you you dig deep, and I, I don't know if I'm, I'm a surface dude compared to you, man. So <laughs> uh, I'm going to try to dig deep on this one a little bit, but – Fred Hoiberg came and, and had a, a nice little interview, and he was talking about the physicality of things, the inconsistency of it. And I was talking about that on the show as well, of how you saw it against Northwestern, and then they all of a sudden go on the road, and then it just disappears. It, it, it just doesn't happen. So he talked about that. This team that's coming in, Wisconsin, they're hungry, they're good, they're consistent. Do we see it in this game or do we see more of the like? Because this is another opportunity for them to grab another high resume win at home outside of the Illinois one. Mm. Well, Strick, you know more about basketball than, or you've forgotten more about it than I know. Um, but I, I would say, you know, what this kind of reminds me of is, uh, to use a football analogy, it kind of reminds me of uh, when Nebraska practiced the day after the Michigan game, and then they went out the next week at Illinois and and balled out. I mean, this kind of reminds me of that because like, this is a button. If you're Fred Hoiberg that you can push one time, right? Like where you, you kind of throw the load management stuff into the trash, like he said, and you go hard and you go physical and you sort of, uh, you know, beat it out of the guys a little bit, um, to send a message and we'll see how much that message is sent against Wisconsin. We already know Nebraska can beat just about anybody at home. Uh, Wisconsin has been a team that they've, had some luck against over the years. And so maybe going hard as they have and, and really pushing that physicality theme um, will show up at home. I think there's probably a good chance that it does. Uh, and again, like when you kind of change up your practice rhythms and you say, all right, we know you guys are going to be tired. Your legs are probably going to be a little heavy, um, but that's what we want. Like that's, that's a calculated move by Hoiberg. So I, I think it's, it feels like the right move to be able to send that message at this point, considering the struggles they've had on the road. But it'll, I just think it, it, it feels like one of those potential turning points in the year where you can pick up another valuable win for your NCAA tournament resume, uh, while at the same time sort of setting a standard for what you want when you get back on the road as you're trying to uh, you know, state your case for why you should be in the big dance. 
Nebraska's first trip on the road went well. It was a neutral site game against Oregon State. Huskers win that game in men's basketball. But Oregon State's our pivot point to college baseball, Evan. We know the Pac-12 is dissolving after this baseball and softball season. Oregon State announced that it's going to play an independent schedule for the next two years in 2025 and 2026. We know that that's a, a big powerhouse name in the college baseball world. What do you think Oregon State's independent schedule looks like, and how does that help or hurt them as they, they chase another College World Series title? Yeah, it's wild, isn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. just some of the the fallout of what's going on in college football and how it affects other sports. Uh, you know, from a baseball perspective, it's ridiculous that Oregon State would have to stoop to the level of piecing together its own schedule because its conference is gone. Like it, that's obviously nothing that it, it had any control over. And people uh, in Omaha remember the Beavers for winning national titles and dogpiling at, uh, you know, at TD Ameritrade back then and, and all the rest. Um, it's going to have to get creative. You know, I think the first month or so you probably won't see a ton of change because that's the non-conference mm-hmm. portion of the season and teams especially of that ilk like to challenge themselves and and, and get out and, and and you know see some top names but what it looks like you know from like mid-march to mid-may I, yeah, I don't know you know a lot of teams like for example the big 10 has an odd number of teams and so there are weekends every year in the Big Ten schedule when somebody has to play out of conference because there aren't an even number of teams. So like that's maybe a place where you can get a little creative if you're Oregon State. I'm sure there are other leagues uh, as well that have an odd number, and so you can kind of uh, pick your spots there. Maybe you can um, be a little bit more aggressive in the midweek. You know, I think that that's a possibility. Like if you could say, hey, maybe here there's a weekend here or there where we can't find somebody to play a weekend series, but maybe if we're willing to travel – to a power uh, halfway across the country on a, on a Tuesday, Wednesday, or do something like that. Maybe they find a little bit of uh, creativity there too. And then, you know, you have the mountain West there and a number of other pre-quality leagues that are still along the West coast that maybe you can fit into a little bit too. So not ideal, but that's a program that even this year, I think uh, is certainly a regional team. One of those teams that is on the short list to contend for Omaha. And, and you would imagine, um, that's going to continue no matter who they end up playing down the road. I think when when a lot of people hear that Oregon State's going independent, their their eyes get big and they first go to oh they'll play LSU, they'll play Florida, Vandy, uh, they'll play you know Clemson, Carolina, Florida State, you know big names like that. Evan, I think those schools play tough enough schedules though that they won't necessarily want a full series against Oregon State unless it's very early in the year. Is that a place where maybe you know like a, a middle of the road Big Ten team could view? getting Oregon State on the schedule as a chance to boost its resume where it's a tough enough game for Oregon State to be worth it but not overly tough so as to tank their resume, you know, should they go on the road and, and not perform as well? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, again, in 2025, there's still going to be some random week in, weekend in the season when, like, say, Nebraska uh, is going to have to play at a conference. And why the heck not throw Oregon State on there to boost your RPI and to give you a chance to – improve your resume. Um, you know, to your point, like the SEC, they're going to schedule tough in the non-con. They already have, uh, you know, a, a grueling in-season or, or in-league season schedule too. So I don't know how motivated they would be on a weekend to try to find a way to squeeze an Oregon State. So like if you're playing the RPI game, 
the teams that do it really well uh, find a way to, to schedule the teams that maybe aren't necessarily uh, the best teams, but they're teams that are going to pile up good records, uh, particularly from you know what would be considered mid-major conferences and some other sports. Like that's where you make your money on RPI is is finding the top teams in those leagues with good records, and then that builds up your profile. So yeah, I think uh, if you're Oregon State and you give a team like Indiana State, for example, mm-hmm. an opportunity to play you at some point in the season or East Carolina or something like that, I think that could move the needle. And again, it's all about how the schedules line up, but uh, it does create sort of a different situation than we've seen. And one, I think where both sides would have something to gain. Turning our attention to the big 10 here, Evan, I was the only team that's ranked in preseason polls. Who else is with the Hawkeyes in that upper echelon of big 10 teams as you projected out this year? Yeah, I think Iowa is the clear favorite. I mean, they have the best one-two punch in the rotation in the league for sure in Marcus Morgan and Brody Brecht, who can hit you know triple digits with his fastball. I think there's probably a drop from there to sort of that next upper middle class tier. Uh, I'd put Rutgers in that group. I'd put Nebraska in that group. Um, you, I think you could make a case for Michigan maybe in that group. Personally, you know, casual Big Ten baseball followers may uh, remember that Maryland has been really good the last couple of years. They lost their coach, Rob Vaughn, to Alabama. They lost most of their impact bats and the handful of good pitchers they had on what was a pretty shaky staff. So I would actually think that they're going to take a, a pretty significant step back this year. Could be wrong about that, but uh, I think that you look at the Big Ten, it, it's kind of where it tends to be most years, and that's one team in the top 25 uh, a, a three-bid league, give or take a team, every year um, with the potential of... Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Somebody else to step up. But yeah, I think it's it's Iowa's league to lose this year. I think Indiana does have a lot of really good pieces, particularly on offense. And then teams like Nebraska, Rutgers, you can make a case for guys if, if players develop and if some of the newcomers do what they've done elsewhere that they could contend as well. As you look at Nebraska, um, I, I want to make sure people go to Omaha.com and read your piece about the depth on Nebraska's team. We're going to get into the, the Husker roster here. When you look at Nebraska teams of the past, obviously the best teams are the one with, with star power and with depth, but mm-hmm. better Nebraska teams, are they typically led by a couple stars, a la Anderson Matthews, Olsen like last year, or are the better Nebraska teams, the the no true superstars, a few above average players, but nobody worse than average on a day-to-day basis? You know, it's a great debate. I think it's really interesting because if you're talking about regular season success, then I think that's where depth, especially in the sport of baseball, shines through. And you're going to need those midweek pitchers. You're going to need other guys to step up through the course of a season when some bats are slumping or injuries crop up or whatever. The stars, though, are the ones that shine in the postseason. I mean, you think about LSU last year and its star power and Florida in the, in the College World Series final and its star power. Like, those are the guys in the pressure moments 
that come through and can carry a team. So, like you said, you want both. I think where Nebraska is right now, and it's a program that hasn't played in June the last two summers, and it, it's trying to get back in the NCAA tournament, I think it's a, it's in a place where you need to have that depth, where you need to be able to know on a Tuesday and a Wednesday who you're handing the ball to and who can give you five innings. You want to be able to have a, a player or two waiting in the wings uh, to fill in on a Tuesday night or on a Sunday in the lineup and, and who can give you some production, put the ball in play, uh, maybe drive in a run, what have you. So I, I think all that combined with the fact that, you know, in the Big Ten, unlike, say, the SEC or the ACC, every weekend is not an opportunity to necessarily improve your resume, right? <laughs> like it's you're going to be playing the Michigan States and the Northwesterns and the Penn States of the world um, that you're kind of expected to beat. And so, like, you need – uh, you need to take care of business, I think, more than like um, maybe upsetting a lot of high-end teams. So that's where I think Nebraska is. And then you can use last year's team as a great case study for that, right? With Max Anderson, Bryce Matthews, they had Emmett Olson and Jace Kaminska. Those were four draft picks that went in the top 10 rounds last year. And Nebraska still couldn't figure out its Sunday starter until later in the season. It still didn't have... Um, you know, depth to its lineup beyond like the first six or seven guys. And that showed in the midweek. And that ultimately was why they were left out of the tournament. So I think they addressed that through junior college recruiting. I think you can make the argument that with guys like uh, Rob Childress on staff now, uh, at least in an on-field role, that you're going to see more development. And so it does feel like they're trending in the right direction. And now it's all about going out and and seeing, uh, you know, how much of a difference that makes this year. As we look at the roster here, Evan, um, we'll dive into specific players as we get closer to first pitch on, on February 16th down at Globe Life Field. But just kind of the 30,000-foot overview here, as you look at the pitching staff, rotation and bullpen, who are a few of the names that stand out to you that Husker fans should should get familiar with? Well, the rotation still is coming together. I mean, even uh, a week ago, they're not ready to say kind of who those guys will be. We, we talked to Drew Christo, which I think is a good sign that he's going to be one of your, uh, you know, first starters Friday or Saturday guys for sure. And uh, people remember him, obviously, an Elkhorn grad who was a top 100 prospect a couple of years ago. Uh, it, it looks like through the summer and the fall, he's found his command a little bit, which would suggest that maybe a big step forward is coming for him. Brett Sears is somebody else who could be a starter who had a really good summer and has a track record in, in that role of being pretty good elsewhere. Um you know, I, I do think the bullpen kind of shapes up to be more of the strength, though. I mean, it, it could be one of those teams where uh, you ask your starter to go five innings and then you let your bullpen kind of mix and match it the rest of the way. I think uh, they have a junior college transfer named Casey Dice, who could be the closer uh, right out of the gate. Uh, Evan Borst is another Juco ad who's been a closer elsewhere. Trey Fromm was on the team for Nebraska last year. He was hurt, and he's back. He has closing experience at the junior college level. Um, you know, Mason McConaughey is another junior college sort of swing man who's been really good as a starter and reliever. So you can kind of go down the list and see. And Kyle Perry, I didn't even mention him in his mm-hmm. sixth year. You know, he's been in Nebraska longer than the entire coaching staff has been at this <laughs> point. So they have a depth of arms there that I think can serve them well, probably deeper in the bullpen than they have been before. Um, you know, and again, that's like, you see that payoff on a Sunday, you see that payoff on a, on a Tuesday or a Wednesday when those guys can go out there and, and take care of business. So 
I do think that was one area that certainly was a, a, a an area of priority for the staff in the offseason was to increase that depth on the mound, and I think they succeeded, at least on paper. There's a lot of names on the infield we can get to. I want to focus on the outfield here first, though. Garrett Anglum back. Who else are the names to know for this team? And I'm curious about who who do you think is the, the opening day starter in center field? Well, I mean, Gabe Swanson, he's, uh, if you look in the Big Ten, uh, the home run leaders, he's uh, the top home run uh, leader returning in the conference this year. I think that might surprise some people, given how he was overshadowed by, you know, Bryce and Max last year and what they did. But he'll be back as one of the lead bats. Um, There's a freshman, Case Sanderson, who could play some outfield, who's probably at least on the hitting side, the guy as a freshman that you would look at. As being an early impact guy, and uh, you know, center field is going to be Riley Silva, who's a you know transfer who came in as well, uh, easily the fastest player on the team. So he can cover a ton of ground in center. He can lay down the bunts. He's going to be a threat on the bases. Um, sort like of a Casey, Casey Burnham, Burnham 2.0 yeah, from yep. what they had from him <laughs> last year. So uh, I think there's some depth there. And then Clay Bla- uh, Bradford's another transfer that they brought in, who uh, is probably going to add some depth after he hit, I think, 400 at a lower level last season. So they do have some options there, too. Um, then just really quickly on on the infield, the two returners that really stand out to me, Dylan Carey at third base, and I know not technically infield, but Josh Karen behind the dish. Any other infield names to know? Yeah, uh, Ben Columbus will be back. I think he'll do some DHing and some catching. Uh, they added a guy, Josh Overbeek, who's a switch hitter, um, who, who was a junior college transfer. I think he'll be the, the starter at third base. Uh, Ty Stone is a junior college addition from Iowa Western. He's one of the guys at first that you can look at. And then second base, uh, a player by the name of Caden Brumbaugh, who was an Oklahoma State transfer who was injured last year. He was going to be a big part of the team, uh, got hurt, redshirted. Now he's back. He'll probably play second base, maybe a little outfield as well. So going back to last year, we know Max Anderson had his breakout at, at second base. Would If Brumbaugh was healthy, it would have been him at second. Would Dylan Carey have probably sat behind Max Anderson at third. Would Anderson have shifted to first? What was that initial plan with, with Brumbaugh in the lineup? Uh, you know, I think he, he could have played some outfield last year. He kind of had the Jackson Hallmark sort of mm-hmm. ability where he could have gone into the outfield or played at different spots in the infield. I mean, I think they would have kept Carey at third, obviously uh, where they had Max and Bryce up the middle. And then, um, you know, I think you could have probably made the argument to play Brumbaugh a little bit at first, as well as uh, where they had Charlie Fisher too. So he was sort of a utility guy. I think they could have played him in a lot of spots. And like as we saw when they got hurt last year, different players like it was hard to replace that production from guys like Anglum and and, and Bryce Matthews late in the year. So I think he would have been a utility guy and and probably would have found a spot as the season went on. Evan, as always, we appreciate the insight. Definitely want to keep digging into the, the roster, some more specific names with you as we get closer to opening day for Husker baseball. Of course, if anything, Husker football pops, we'll hit that with you as well. As always, thanks for the time, Evan. Really appreciate it. Yep. Thanks, guys. See you. Evan joined us on our VIP line brought to you by Aloe Fiber, where they understand the importance of exceptional service with local hearts. Stricky, Nebraska baseball always starts the year off in a warm weather climate. Doesn't seem like they would need to right now. It's beautiful, it's beautiful, perfect it spring baseball weather right now. Give it a couple weeks, though, and we're in the middle of February. They might still be happy they're going to Texas. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt about it. We It can change just that quick. So mm-hmm. Enjoy it while you can. I'm sure they're they're probably enjoying being able to get outside and mm-hmm. you know hit some balls, feel some balls, throw in the open air and all that well, stuff. You, as the you know, baseball guy, it makes a huge difference 
playing outside versus inside, right? To have that experience outside to judge the ball off the bat. Like these Northern teams are at a disadvantage. Like I know you didn't like sitting out in the Florida heat necessarily, but as you're getting going into a season to have those live reps outside, that's invaluable. It is invaluable. And it's, 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 it's just refreshing, Mm -hmm. you know, is just to be able to see the sun, feel the sun, uh, throw in the open air. It's, it's a lot better. I I can tell you than being inside all the time. (laughs) That's no doubt. Fair enough. He's Strick. I'm Austin. Big thanks to Evan for his insight. We'll step aside, bring Jay Foreman in to cross it over, wrap up on the block next.